Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Shargao Sound. I am so sad to bring you guys episode 2 under the current context. We were hit by a really, really, really bad typhoon, uh, typhoon, super typhoon category 5 in Shargao around exactly a month ago and it essentially decimated the island. This episode is going to dive into a lot. It's going to be an attempt to heal, an attempt to talk through things, and also an attempt to provide some context to people from the outside. We're going to have information on where you can donate also in this episode as well. And my guest joining me today, his name is John. He's from a YouTube channel and a TikTok account called Juan and Lonely. Really, really cool guy who makes travel-related content and was really pushing promotion of tourism towards Shargao before this awful event. And I'm uh, really excited to introduce you guys to his story and also his experience during the typhoon. Out of respect for the events that occurred in Shargao, we're going to skip any sort of intro music. And also, we're going to skip this sort of weather update for this episode. The one thing I want to say in the beginning of this episode is please, when listening, try to keep an open mind. For a lot of people who are in the typhoon, it's still very fresh and we're still processing the trauma. Feeling those emotions and feeling those feelings and talking about them openly, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So when you're listening to the episode, if we get a little angry in certain bits, if we get super sad in other bits, if we start laughing in other bits, try to keep an open mind and understand that this is a very, very, very difficult thing that not many people know how to deal with or deal with efficiently. Well, this this podcast is all about healing and working through it. So that's exactly what we want to try to do. And it's funny, you know, before this typhoon, I was actually banking episodes good for a year to be able to produce this podcast from far away. I met up with business owners and I took them all over to the Oido lab in Gawagawa to talk about Shargao and their passion and their love for Shargao. After, and, you know, after the events of the typhoon, there there isn't much left the widow lab fared okay but it's not the right context to continue uploading and editing and and recording episodes there also because there's like no power and service in general luna at the moment at least nothing stable not being able to record that in chargao i'm actually here in manila at the moment and we partnered up with an amazing studio called Mango Room Studios in Pasig. And they hosted us for this episode absolutely free. They are amazing. I want to give a huge shout out to Mango Room Studios. Please, if you have any sort of recording that you want to do while you're here in Manila, they're in a great location in Pasig. They're super, super chill. I'll leave their information down below in the show notes and description as well so you can get in touch with them in case you want to. Anyways, I really appreciate you guys tuning in for episode number two of the Shargao Sound. And uh, yeah, enjoy this uh, second episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Shargao Sound. I am sad to bring you guys this episode under the current context, but I felt like it was very important to do it. You know, I had a vision for this podcast. I started around a year ago, and in the last few months, I started recording episodes after episodes after episodes, banking them with cool business owners, talking about experiences in Shargao. And only two weeks after launching this podcast, we were hit with a super typhoon category five in Shargao pretty much decimating the island. This podcast is going to be here for people who need to hear this stuff, people who are working through the traumas like my guest and I that are here on the podcast today, who I'm sure are dealing with tons of traumas from the background of the experience itself, the days after, the, the future. So this is for you guys, those of you guys who actually physically went through the uh, typhoon, and also uh, to serve as a documentation for people who weren't there, who saw the news from the outside, what it was really like on the ground, what we experienced from two different parts of the island, from two different parts of General Luna, and uh, just relay that information to you guys. I want to start off, though, and say um, we want to try to get as much attention on donations in this podcast. So I'll mention this again at the end of the episode. But if you would like to donate, links will be in the show notes in the description of wherever this podcast is. You can donate to places like Sieve Movement, 
C-Shine, Vidya, and Local Lab. All of those are verified ones that I personally went to verify through, made sure that these are uh, organized places to go donate to. And uh, personally, John and I are both working on um, different efforts in volunteering, food programs, construction materials in our own right. So if you want to get in contact with us personally, also all of that will be down below in the show notes or description. And let's kick it off. My guest who is joining us today is John, also known as Juan and Lonely, a very, very talented video creator. <laughs> Actually, we met uh, over two, almost two, three years ago two now. Two years ago. Yeah, in, in Poblacion. He was a New viewer Year's of mine. Eve, yeah. New Year's Eve. And he sent me a message and he joined me in the top of Z Hostel, no? Yeah. <laughs> we partied in Poblacion. <laughs> and then he moved to Shargao. So... Tell me a little bit about your experience and why you moved to Shargao, how you fell in love with this island, and then we'll get right into the deep, dark stuff of the typhoon. All right. So Shargao has always been my safe space. Um, um, the last time I went there in July 2021, it's my it's my seventh time going to the island. So seventh. ever since. Yeah, seventh wow. time. Like seventh heaven, right? So <laughs> ever since, um, to be honest, I, I knew Shargao from this film. It's called Shargao by Jericho Rosales. Right, yeah, yeah. And then it was in 2017. And then... The island is starting to get some hype. And then I, I said to myself, because I was assigned in Davao, because I used to work for a Japanese retail brand. And then mm -hmm. I was assigned in Davao. And then I said to myself that I'm going to go there someday. And then every time, you know, I just get stressed out from work, I just go there to Shargao. Like one time, um, it was only two days. And then my flight, like I only had a full day in Shargao, one full day. And then the next day, it would be my flight. But it's okay because for me, Shargao always heals me. You know, if I'm if I'm stressed, if I want to um, have reassess myself, have some redirection in life, I know Shargao is always that go-to place that will always save me, heal me, and, you know, like nurture me. Wow. So Shargao has always been my home. So that's why on my seventh time in the island, you know, I came from a very rough phase in 2020. I'm sure we all did. Yeah. But for me, it's um, personal, career, and many aspects of my life. I was um, at the rock bottom of my life in 2020. So I decided to, of course, go again to that go-to place, you know. It has always been a, a tried and tested, like tried and tested option. So I, I booked my ticket to Shergao and you know what? My flight got canceled like eight times before that. Oh, yeah. I yeah. remember this. We were in contact during that whole time. Yeah, eight times. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why um, in 2021, when the restrictions are getting eased, you know, I knew I had to book it right away. I knew I had to go there right away. So fortunately, I was able to transfer there in July 2021. And then five months then, I, have, I became a resident of Shargao mm. because I really wanted to, you know, migrate there. Like from the city to the island, I just want a normal and simple rural life, you know, away from the hustle and bustle of the city. I'm sure you all guys like we have been um, we have been trapped in our homes in the cities, like working and our view is always the, the rooftop, you know, and then we can't go out. Yeah. I'm sure it has taken a toll on all of us. So I just wanted to you know, redirect my life and then start a new and then, of course, why not start it in a place that I know right. always, that always heals me. That gives you good energy. Yeah. And you're originally from Manila. I'm originally from Quezon City. From Quezon yeah. City, Manila. So you're like a city boy born and raised. Very much of a city boy. Yeah. yeah. But I've seen you, 
I've seen you even blossom into the island boy that you're destined to be, oh, you know, God. in the with the long hair <laughs> yeah, and the you know the the six pack and the running <laughs> around and the island and you know John makes a really uh, really amazing videos promoting tourism in Shargao and I know that uh, during the sort of comeback right before the typhoon, I, I remember watching your TikTok and seeing just like millions of views. Oh, like people you, are guys. always watching. Uh, your content on Shargao and getting inspired to come there and you know, I'll read through your comments and see Sana all I want to go <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you know you, lots of people you. who are interested in going so anyways nice I'm happy that we're able to sort of talk about that if you've been listening to this podcast or are going to listen to this podcast in the future you'll know why I made it to Shargao I don't want to touch on that so much but I want to start let's talk about the typhoon all right so on Thursday December 15th no 16th 16th yeah, yeah. so 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 Wednesday December 15th we were preparing. We were. we were tracking this storm as an island community, especially in General Luna. A lot of us were bracing for something bad, mm-hmm. but nobody really expected what was coming. Right. And right. I remember we were keeping an eye on the news like a week prior. People were excited about the surf. But I remember the evening of Wednesday, like, yeah, Wednesday evening, the night before the typhoon, there was already start some suspicion coming out with news coming out from Pagasa and from different news agencies saying... Okay, this is increasing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's still not going to be something insane. It's not going to be something crazy, like maybe a category one or two, but it's increasing. So you guys need to prepare. You know, everyone started making evacuation routes. I remember we chatted a little bit. You were preparing to go. If you needed, you had an evacuation plan already, yeah. right? So, you know, I remember that night feeling the feelings already and watching the rain coming in and the flooding was starting a little bit. But then Thursday morning came mm-hmm. and it wasn't that bad. Like it was pretty chill, you know, Thursday morning, early in the morning, it wasn't like... I was even working. Yeah, I remember. Morning. I saw your stories. Yeah, you were working, working on the computer, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, people were taking relatively chill. But the news was still coming in. And I think we started, our, our network started tapering a little bit. Like our service from Smart and Globe started tapering around start, the I morning. Think it started by 11.30. By 11.30, it was yeah, like yeah. already coming in and out. Um, and earlier that morning, I even I was going on a joyride in the tuk-tuk, like driving around, going to Cloud <laughs> like Nine, going to the bridge. That side of the island. Yeah, you know? like going to check it out. You know, yeah, there yeah. were some things on the floor, like some coconut trees on the floor. But then I remember, um, I remember at, I think it was 9 a.m., we were sitting in the room in Arca getting prepared to make an evacuation plan. And we saw a tweet come in from a news agency actually in the, in the United States. Mm. It wasn't Pagasa yet because they had not published it yet, yeah. but... They recategorized it in the United States mm-hmm. uh, Meteorological Society there as a Category 5 super typhoon with potential of winds up to 280 kilometers an hour. And I remember we saw that and we couldn't tell if it was a joke. I completely read it off. I was like, no way. And there was no time because it's the same day. Like the they, same raised, day. they raised the like, alert level on the same day. Two hours before yeah, two the hours storm. Before. I was like, no way, man. Oh, this yeah, is yeah. a joke. Like they're just, they're making a big deal out of it. And we were watching, we were, I remember looking out of the window, we were like, hmm. We're gonna be fine. Like yeah, the yeah. wind's not that much, the rain's not even that much, and then uh, and then the power went out shortly after that. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I was in the kitchen of Arkahaya High cooking food because we were preparing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for... you always do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, somehow I got roped into cooking in that kitchen all the time. But uh, the guests from Las Palmas, which is a resort across the road, they didn't have a, a concrete place to evacuate to, so they decided to evacuate to Happiness Hostel. Which right. is my friend Sar's own. He's the owner of that place. That was he was building the this big concrete hostel there, and we in Arca High High we were taking it seriously, but still we were like, you know, if we can maybe ride it out here. Mm-hmm. So we started cooking in the kitchen, and uh, and then and then quite frankly, like the best way to describe it is the end of the world began outside. Like, you know, maybe we were in the kitchen for two hours cooking food for forty people now, and and all of a sudden the windows would go. Phew, and a tree would fall outside 
and you know you're cooking the kitchen and all of a sudden you're like ducking for your life and yeah, we yeah, still yeah. again we were not taking it seriously Jeez. enough like we were we were just you know we were cooking it's fine we we're cooking for people uh, I think at around 11.30, like you said, 11.30 or 12. Signal was out. Yeah. Signal was out completely. Power was out completely. Power lines were on the ground. Trees were on the ground. And we decided, all right, it's not safe to be in the kitchen anymore. Like the windows had busted open multiple times at that point. So we we ran out. We started delivering food to Las Palmas or to Happiness. We started bringing all the food there, bringing our important things. Um, and I remember running through the storm at that moment. I was like, this is getting really, really bad. Like, this is not looking good. Maybe maybe that forecast is true. And I remember before also they were talking about a surge, about like a storm surge, storm yeah, surge yeah. of two to three meters, which ended up being way, way bigger than that. And the last thing that I did right before escaping and evacuating to happiness was... I ran back to my room, which is right on the beach in General Luna, like literally beachfront. Beachfront. Yeah, yeah. It's as it's maybe twenty meters, even less from the beach. Like mm. you, you. My room is on the sand, mm. a concrete structure, a good structure, but mostly made out of glass, like a lot of the windows there. So I remember going into the room to just try to grab a pair of underwear so I could be a little bit like drier. <laughs> you and know your priorities. My priorities. Your you priorities. know, I knew I was probably going to be wet for a few hours, <laughs> and then my friend Jesser and I we turn around and we look at the ocean. And he goes, oh, no, bro. And we see it. And it's, it was the first wave that hit over the wall in the surge. And I have it on so camera. So it's that high. Like, how high is it? It must have been at least three meters. Like three it, meters. It, I mean, it, it, it went from the ocean, and it covered the entire wall of Arca High, High like the, the seawall, and then spilled in probably another meter of water into the grounds of Arca. So it was a full-on wave that had hit and went over and obviously when you look at the footage in the GoPro when you see it you know it happens for a split second and it doesn't look that tall but when you calculate actually how much water is needed to push over the wall and start spilling into the backyard of Arca it was one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life that I think for me the trauma really settles in that moment because once yeah. I saw it I saw a scene from a movie of me getting dragged out to the mm. ocean the wind the trees falling yeah. And then we start bolting and I'm running and I'm running and I'm running. I've, I've never run this fast in my life and everything is falling around me. Like trees are falling and power lines are falling. I'm seeing metal roofs flying around and I'm running and I'm running and I'm yelling to people, get up, get upstairs. And I'm freaking out. You know, I'm losing my so mind. Feeling because... like Dwayne uh, The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> in the earthquake movie? <laughs> the earthquake movie. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I really expected there to be this big wave behind me. Now, obviously, that didn't happen that quickly. There wasn't a wave behind me. But quite literally an hour later, I mean, the storm surge had spilled into the streets of GL and Tekatangnan. There was water from the ocean more than a meter deep in the streets of General Luna. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and, and then we rode out the typhoon for six hours, wet, drenched, windy rain in this open air concrete hostel. You know, to say we survived is a little bit of an overstatement. You know, I don't think we were very much in danger. Yeah. But but it. It's a miserable experience. You're watching your community, your houses, your friends' resorts, your friends' businesses, your family, your friends on this island. You're watching everything get ripped away, and you're watching it happen. Yeah. You're not in a bathroom. You're in an open-air hostel, and you can literally look out and see all of it happen. Yeah. And I think that was the most, like, it's like after all that trauma, to experience all of it getting ripped away like a clean slate, like, boom, this yeah. is this is from tomorrow your life is about to change dramatically, dramatically yeah. and you don't know what's happening next. You don't know what's going on. There's no services, no updates, there's no nothing. We spent 45 people and like 25 dogs huddled up in one of the rooms. 45 people? Yeah, like 45 wow. people huddled up in this one concrete room that was the driest and the room started flooding. So we had to start cracking holes in the ground to get the water out. Uh, 
and then and then the storm ended and it stopped and it kind of it kind of almost was, happened dramatically. It was so dragging, you know. Yeah, like, it dragged us like five hours and then yeah. the moment it stopped, it's already getting dark. It's getting dark yeah, and it was night dark. and now you're trying to recollect and understand yeah, yeah. what just happened. Yeah, and I, I'll talk more later about that night because I want you to share also your experience. But that that the moments after the typhoon was like. We're in a new age of Shargao. Doomsday. It's, it's doomsday. Literally doomsday. It's Mad Max. Yeah. That's what it was like. Right. You're looking around you in General Luna and all the trees are down. All the power lines are down. Friends, you can't get in touch with. You don't know who's safe and who's not. And you're understanding that this was way, 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 way worse than worse. we expected. Yeah, yeah. Like immediately my friends in the north, that's where my brain went. was like, oh, my God, my friends in the north. I don't think anybody expected what was happening. And they said that the North was supposed to be way worse than the South. Mm. But anyways, I want you to share. Tell me a little bit about, because you were in the back road in Katangna, yeah. right? So talk a little bit about what you're... Okay, I'm living in this hostel named Hang Five. Mm. So it's also owned by an Israeli guy, mm -hmm. Amit. And then it's located in a uh, back road of Katangnan, uh, just parallel to the main tourism road. So the day before, actually, uh, to be honest, I think we all underestimated the, For the sure. storm. Because... As a city boy, I know I, I've been used to this kind of storms like in 2006, Milenio, and then all this. And then in 2009, Ondoy, it flooded whole Metro Manila. But, you know, um, even though with these storms, like we are used to it because um, like we are living in concrete houses. So we know that we're going to survive. So it's my first time to experience storm outside the comforts of the city and the safety of the city. So I didn't know what to feel. But coming from that perspective that I've always been safe in the city, I didn't, now to be honest, I also underestimated the, the power of the storm. So that's why I'm thankful because the night before the storm, our hostel manager already informed us that Guys, you should vacate to another place because this storm is gonna be big. So, I'm. I want to thank uh, my hostel manager that she informed us beforehand because you know what happened to our hostel. Like it was literally leveled to the ground. Wow. Like the second floor where I'm staying is leveled to the first floor. So, had I stayed there, I don't know if I'm still uh, facing you right now. Mm -hmm. So we're glad that we were able to migrate to the nearby. Lexias Hostel, which is known for having uh, fast internet connectivity. So we transferred there and it's and it's a concrete place. Mm -hmm. And then the owners are also very accommodating. So I was even, I was able to work the morning of the storm. And then suddenly, like by 11 a.m., I started to document everything. And then I was contacting, I was um in, in talks with my, with the hostel owner, the Israeli hostel owner. And then he said to me, Hey boy, I'm um, just. I want you to um, monitor what's happening in Hang Five, and then I I sent him this this video of Hang Five. Oh, and then he said to me, "Oh boy, this bad boy seems to hold up. Like, <laughs> like he seems to have this optimism that you know, even though our hostel is made up basically of light materials, mm -hmm. you know, like it's still it's it's still gonna survive. But after that, eleven thirty, the power went out, the signal was down." And then we all rushed this concrete place. And then, man, the wind is like the gust. It's hammering the windows. Yeah. And then we were we we're all afraid, like so afraid. And then I I, I, I remember that the, the owners uh, served us food. And then I remembered 
my my hostel roommate is still downstairs so i have to give him the food so i i told the the other people who were also stuck in the room hey i need to get back to my roommate because he he hasn't eaten yet and then he and then they told me be careful because the roofs are starting to be um teared apart like mm. torn apart and then i said no i'm i'm going to feed my i'm going to feed my roommate so i transferred i was able to go downstairs and i was able to give the food to my roommate and then after that like after a few minutes that's when the official landfall happened i remember the peak it peaked at around 1 yep. 1 1:30 p.m. Yep. and then man i i saw it um like upon opening the door like the we had this um we had this common area it's called the rooftop in Lexia's hostel that's why i that's where i used to work the uh, the morning before like 8 a.m. and then upon opening my door like 2 p.m. man the roof was gone so i i just imagine like how fast things have changed you know yeah. like the storm is really hammering to the to whole shargao so it's really that big so that's why when they told us that um initially one day before they um they expected it to be a level 3 typhoon and then they only informed us like two hours before the landfall that it has already progressed to category 5 i knew that something something big is going to happen mm-hmm. like that and then it dragged uh it dragged all the way like uh five hours you know it was so dragging so i i i even slept my way because you know like what would you do like just you know we're just waiting inside our rooms and then we could just hear the the whist the whistling of the wind that's how strong it is like we were just imagine we're living in a concrete room and you could still hear the whistling of the wind it's hammering through the door against the door so it's really that storm and then i was able to sleep two hours and then the moment i wake up like 5:30 it was already dark my first instinct was man i need to visit hang 5 i need to visit our hostel so it was already getting dark and then i saw man i remember the, the 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 scenes of destruction like when i got out of our hostel along this uh, um along back road all the all the power um you know towers are you know down the trees are down and then all these live wires in the water i was even so um paranoid that i might step on some live wire i know you get get electrocuted yeah. but i did it anyway because i have to visit my hostel and then okay so i was able to visit my hostel it was already dark like 6 p.m. and then man i literally was dumbfounded dumbfounded i was petrified like i wanted to cry you know because this hostel meant so much to me like throughout my five months of staying in the island like it's not a fancy okay it's not a fancy place but for for me it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. i just need uh some place to you know to sleep you know but to sleep to uh to eat and uh, take a bath but the most important uh, reason why i stayed in the hostel is because of the people like i want to find the community because i'm living uh, in a home away from home so i'm away with my my parents my family so my only family in shargao are the friends that i met in that hostel so throughout those five months like i i was literally able to build solid connections and when when i say solid like up to now some of them have already um flew back to outside the philippines in cebu 
and we're still having this deep connection. So that's how solid the connection I got from the friends there. So when I saw the situation of my hostel, like I was literally petrified. Like I thought all of the things that I've spent there, all the memories, now they're gone, like yeah. level to the ground. Yeah. So it was so emotional. It was so um, heart-wrenching. And then, you know, I wanted to cry. Yeah. I wanted to cry. I wanted to cry so badly. Like, man, like after all, our home, this is our home. Yeah. Like I've already, um, I've already conditioned my mind that I would be staying here in this hostel for good because I just got my certificate of residency two, um, actually three days before Typhoon um, like smashed her gal. Mm. And now it's all gone. So, Man, I can see us both getting teary-eyed right now. <laughs> right, 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 it's dif- it's difficult to talk about because the trauma, the trauma with what happened in Shargao, it it hits deeper than just like oh your hostel got ruined. It's like you said, it's the memories that are in there that are baked. I mean, for me, I shared some of my favorite days of my entire life in Shargao. Like the memory of being there for the last two years was the most beautiful experience ever. I I, I made connections with people and places in ways that I never have in the surf in the skating, in the eating food, in the restaurant owners, in the business owners, and the friends like you and, and many others that I made. And uh, when you see it just ripped away from you, it feels like an attack on a personal level. And then you try to be angry at someone and you can't. It's just nature. Yeah, it's nature. You have yeah. no one to be angry at. Yeah, yeah. You can't be angry at Pagasa. Yeah. You can't be angry at the government. You can't be angry at the mayor, the municipality. It's literally out of everyone's control. And, you, and it feels so personal. It feels like someone did it to you. But it's not. It's just yeah, something yeah. that happened. And exactly. like processing that and trying to understand a like an attack that's happened to you that's not really directed at you. It's just directed at the world. It's something very difficult. But uh let's uh yeah, man, you <laughs> you broke yeah, me a little yeah. bit. I was getting I was really going <laughs> back to Yeah, I was getting teary eyed. It's it's difficult to talk about. It's something that I think is gonna continue to be difficult to talk yeah. about for, for a while because I think we're all still working yeah. through this. I'm it's only a month I'm still after processing it. Yeah. Definitely still processing. But let's uh, let's let's jump in a little bit about the the days after the days preceding. So I I know you spent a little bit of shorter time there than I did because yeah. I stick there I stuck around for like three weeks after. Mm-hmm. But tell me a little bit what the days were like after for you and then your departure from the island. Okay, to be honest, I didn't want to leave the island. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to stay because yep. this island has meant so much to me. So I wanted to stay there. But first, I have to be practical. I have I have an online based work. I'm a digital nomad, so my first priority has got to be internet connectivity and electricity. But you couldn't find it in the island. And second, cash is running out. Like to be honest, I really didn't expect this typhoon is going to be this um damaging. So I wasn't able to withdraw some enough cash for me to sustain. But the typhoon happened, cash is depleting and actually on the the day that the typhoon um like smashed Tregao, it was my first day in one of my jobs. It, it was my first day in one of my jobs. And then the morning, I was already working on that job. It was my first day. And then it suddenly stopped by 11.30 a.m. And then I was wondering the days after, two days, three days after, still no signal. I'm already paranoid. Like, man, I would get fired from my job. This is my living. So I need to do something and at the time the the most practical and wisest way to do was really to leave the island Mm -hmm. and some people you know i just have to bring this up some people are telling me and also some followers on social media are telling me 
you know what? You guys, your influencers in Shargao, you have all benefited from Shargao. Um, you have sort of uh, did it for the clout, uh, end quote, uh, open quote, for end the quote. Views and yeah, the for the views and the clicks. And then why did you leave the island? I mean, after after you have benefited so much from the island, now the typhoon happened and, and suddenly you're just leaving it like that. For me, I have to be honest, I got mad reading those comments. Yeah. You know, it stirred up something in my heart because Shargao, I'm not doing it for the clout. Like I've been here since 2018. I went back here. It's my seventh time on the island. And even before this, this hype started, I already knew Shargao on a personal level. So I'm not doing it for the clout. But I gotta be practical. I gotta be wise because I also have my own living. Of course, I would like, of course, I know some people who chose to stay in Shargao, but because they have the means to do it. I'm not a rich person. Of course, I, I need cash. But some of these people who stayed there, maybe they have the means. So I I applaud them for doing that and how I wish I could also do that. But I don't have the same um, capacity to do that. So I really have to leave the island. I remember, I think on the second day, I saw you by the Palenque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was talking to you and you're like, what's up? What's your plan? And you're like, I don't know what to do, Tal. I'm out of money completely. I was like, really? like I don't fucking know what to do either. I'm yeah. out of money also. <laughs> like everyone's running out of money. Yeah, yeah. And you try, you try to figure out like, how does, how does society run around without money? I know. And you yeah. start realizing Butuan, Cebu, Surigao, they're all destroyed also. We can't go anywhere other than Manila. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we can't pay anybody. We can't do anything. We can't eat. We can't drink. It's like, what do you do without money? How do you survive without money? Exactly. But I think I want to touch on what you just said because, you know, we're both video creators. We both create content on the internet. The The series that I've uploaded so far on YouTube about the, uh, about the typhoon and my experience, it's garnered a couple million views. Yeah, I saw it. And... Yeah. People, I've been getting this influx of comments and I've never reacted to comments in the way like this before. I've gotten comments from people saying, who who the hell are these people that they think they're leaving? And I mentioned, I still in my content, I haven't left Chargao yet. People don't know that I've actually left the island. Um, but already I got messages when I talked about thinking about leaving. People are like, you shouldn't leave. You benefited from the island so much. You should stay and help. It's oh, like, yeah. you need to understand anybody listening to this podcast and only people who were there during the typhoon, I think, really understand this. If you even think about judging somebody for leaving the typhoon or leaving Shargao after this typhoon, you you have your vision of the world so twisted in such a terrible, disgusting way. That thing, that storm was so traumatic to so many people who were not prepared to experience something like that. They had zero mental preparation for it. Besides the physical preparation, besides the that, the mental preparation is something that is super damning. That's the reason I left. For me, even three weeks volunteering and giving everything for myself on the island, it broke me completely. I had nothing left mentally to give to the island. And uh, for some people that happened six hours after, for some people that happened two weeks after, for some people that won't happen for a year after. But how that affects different people is not up to you to judge. You can't make that decision. Exactly. If you didn't experience that typhoon, if you didn't experience what that experience was like, who do you think you are to even think about leaving comments like that? I like, know. you know, immediately, I know that you and I are people who immediately the day after, besides thinking about ourselves, like what happens in life, we're thinking we about the community. Out, like to check like, the situation. Like, who needs help? How can we help? Yeah, yeah. What can we do? It wasn't like this selfish mentality of like me, 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 me. Yeah. It's, it was a terrible, traumatic, world-ending, that's what it felt like, experience. 
you could never ever sit from far away from behind a keyboard and type a comment and judge about whose decision is to leave and what not to do. And I want to recap a little bit because John was touching on this. It's, you know, the morning after, everybody everybody sort of spent the morning walking around General Luna. Yeah. We walked around from place to place. It, it kind of felt almost like Sinulog in a way. Like people were out in the streets, not celebrating, yeah, 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 yeah. but in shock. Like in absolute shock of what the situation was like and uh, and just intaking all of this horror that they're seeing their businesses, their friends, their buildings completely collapsed on the ground from, you know, Proc Cinco, Proc Uno, Catangnan, Santa Fe. You're just taking all of this in and uh, and you're starting to click the pieces together. We don't have money. Yeah. They're, all the ATMs are gone. We don't have service. We don't have electricity. What happens now with water? Yeah. What happens now with food? Most of the bankas are destroyed, so nobody's going fishing now. The ocean's not safe to be in either way. And on top of that, our friends and relatives are worrying, so we got to update them. But and there's no way you can update them. There's, there's no way to update them, and we don't know when help is coming. Yeah. That was the biggest, I think that was one of the other things that right on the trauma is like, you're in this terrible situation. You just went through the shit, and now you have to clean up. You have to be careful to stay healthy. And you needed like not dehydrate, not die from drinking dirty water, not like, you know, lack of food. And you need to figure out what the next steps are without any help from the outside world. And and when and I say I can't visualize this enough for you guys. It's like, you know, we went from one day being able to travel across this island so openly, so easily with nice roads, nice vehicles to the next day. There are giant palm trees in the middle of the road. There are power lines in the middle of the road. There's flooding everywhere. There are certain areas of this little town that are completely unpassable. You cannot go. Yeah. You couldn't access Del Carmen. You couldn't go to the north. You couldn't check on anyone. You couldn't do anything. Yeah. You had to physically climb over trees to get around town and figure out who is what and where was where and what was going on and what survived and what didn't. And so, again, to go back to that point is if you think you can sit outside from the outside and judge and feel like you can really talk about these things without having experienced this stuff, I know that there's... No local Shargaonon that would judge either you or me for leaving the island. There's not one that I know of. Not one that I can name that would say, oh, John and Tal left the island because they don't feel comfortable being there anymore. Yeah. Because their jobs I'm, rely on internet. I don't know privileged one. Reeks, you know. I don't know one person that would say that from yeah. the island. Not one. And I don't know anybody from the community, from our friends, from the people that we know on the island, that would judge either one of us for leaving. Because you know what? It is not comfortable, and in a lot of ways, it's not safe to be there right now. And if you don't have a, a a purpose, a driven purpose, a plan to be there, it's actually not really even that smart to be there right now because food is, is low, resources yeah, yeah, yeah. are low. You, If you stay there without really a reason to be there, without being able to help, you're sort of just taking up resources that other people could be using. And that was a big debate for yeah, the two yeah, of us. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. we talked about that. It's like, we, I don't know if I should stay. I don't know if I should yeah. go. Um so tell me a little bit about the, about the departure. How how did um, you get out? I just wanted to add sure. some few points. Yeah, and I think apart from you know apart from choosing practicality and being smart, then uh, you know staying in an island where the resources are depleting. I think another thing, a very important factor is that locals need the help. And as much as I want to stay in the island, I wanted the aid, the help coming from international community and from the government. I wanted the locals to receive them wholly without us like of course we are already a lo uh, local there but without the us the like the the migrated residents in the island like 
sharing these resources from them because of, of all the people who need help those are the locals so i wanted you know it's more safe you know it's more wise to just leave the island because the locals need more help than we do so you know because if you're going to stay there of course maybe you have maybe you have some food you were able to stock up on some water but then after that how are we going to survive in the in an island where the resources are depleting and there are so many people outside who have lost their homes they they have even struggled to get their own water so if we're if we are going to buy these resources from the very few grocery stores that are still thriving at that moment if we're going to get it for ourselves maybe think about it first maybe the locals need it more so it's wiser to leave the island than to stay there but yeah but you know i'm up to, up up to, up to now my heart is still in shargao mm-hmm. that's why on monday i'm i'm going back to shargao because you know not because not to prove to anyone that hey <laughs> this is me like of all the comments that you told me that i'm not healthy i'm going to help no not because of that because it feels like you know i i just have to do it it feels like i felt guilty actually leaving the island mm-hmm. on monday um december 20 that's three days after the typhoon hit i mean four days rather um we left the island and then because the usual route to leave shargao is from the pa port right and the pa or sayak if yeah, you go the airport the pa or sayak yeah. but sayak is the airport and there it's not operating and the ferry in the pa port is also not operating because surigao city is also heavily devastated so the only route um left is this back uh, is this um back door route and uh, end quote going to hayangaban port in surigao del norte mm-hmm. so we took that by a leap of faith we took that ro- uh that boat tour it cost us 20,000. Wow. It's really expensive, yeah. man. Just going out of the island is really expensive. And then we are uh, 15 people with one dog and then two boats. So we we uh, we left the island with two boats with our heavy luggage with us. I was um, actually very um very I was really what what do you call this? I'm very concerned about that trip because, you know, that day it's very sunny outside but i don't know if you know if maybe the seas would be raging and to be honest we didn't have any um approval from the coast guard so it's like an under the table you know situation going on right but we had to we had to do it because you know we had to save ourselves as well so on that two hour boat trip you know i was praying to god please um let us be safe in this trip and then thankfully it was very sunny the seas are very calm and we were able to arrive in hayangaport and you know one one story upon arriving in hayangaban port the signal we're starting to have access to signal mm. so we're all um receiving this outpour of messages if you would believe it like at the time it was only smart network that has the signal and i'm globe so i needed to connect to a hotspot of my of a friend of mine and then i received this outpour of messages like 100 messages yeah. in facebook on facebook and instagram and then all of them are saying hey how are you and one like striking moment i remember is one of our friends 
um, his name is Luis. Luis, if you're listening, one of our friends was already reported missing hmm. by his sister. And then I was tagged in that Facebook post that he was last seen with John. And then the last story I uploaded on Instagram was the night before the typhoon. And we were all having fun in Lexia's hostel. Like, you know, not not to be insensitive because we don't care about the typhoon, but because we... We've got nothing to do, and we we, we have nothing. I did but... it too, bro. I was in Baile the night before. <laughs> you were in Baile. Yeah. Oh, were you still partying in Baile? Yeah, we were partying in Baile. We went we went drinking. We did karaoke the night before. The last rave. Me, me and Philip and the whole Arca crew, like all the employees, we went to Baile because you know that hell on earth is coming tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. This might be your last day. Yeah. <laughs> like and... you're gonna go enjoy. Yeah. Why would you be sad, right? Yeah. I mean, not to be insensitive. It's not being insensitive, but because we just want to, you know, uh, field our our company. You know, like we're we're all in this together. Yeah. Like all the some hostel owners, um, the hostel owners of um, Mau Mau Surf is also like, are also there. Who are also my friends. So, ah, they were with you guys. Yeah, they were oh, with nice. us, and so the hostel owners and all the other um, guests from different um, accommodations. They transferred to Lexia's hostel, which mm-hmm. is a very safe place. So I want to thank Lexia's hostel. So anyway, we were par- uh, we were drinking the night before, and then that was the last story I uploaded on Instagram. So the maybe my friends were thinking because at the time it already expired, but maybe they were thinking, oh maybe you guys are still safe because you're you're still drinking that time. But I haven't heard a single. Uh, a single text for you or I haven't seen a single story from you ever since the typhoon and three days after the typhoon that's that's when the news about Shargao being heavily devastated like came out in the news yeah. so it was very um, I didn't know what to feel like you know I felt overwhelmed with the messages to be honest but I felt very grateful because you know I have this kind of friends and my families who are really concerned and I really um, felt their um their love for me so i want to thank them so anyway up, upon uh, upon arriving in Hayangabon port we needed to take this um 10 hour van uh, van trip going to davao because as much as we want uh, wanted to fly out from butuan i also heard that there are so many stranded people in butuan so that's why we chose davao instead ah so you went down to davao yeah we went down to davao and we had to trip in like 10,000 pesos for the van. Mm-hmm. So another <laughs> on top of the 20k expenses, you Oof. know, leaving the island is really mahal. cost us, has really cost us. Mahal, yeah. mahal, Jesus. Yeah, it's really mahal. And then we transferred to Davao and just stayed there for two days, two days, two more days. And then that's where, when, uh, where we were able to book our flight going back to Manila. But even on the day on my flight, like I'm going back to Manila. Man, would you believe it? Like, I'm still in denial. Like, I I really felt guilty that I left the island. Like, it it felt like I left the island helplessly. Like, helpless. Like, I I really wanted to help, but as as much as I wanted to, like, I have no means of doing it. Yep. You know. So, I felt guilty. That's why I told myself that upon arriving in Manila, I will plan my way carefully how to get back to the island and. Another um, insight I wanted to add on why we left the island, it's because you can help more if you're in the city, actually. Yep. Because there's no electricity, no signal in Shargao. So how are you going to receive aid 
which is uh, which usually came from donations from online bank transfers from GCash. So how are you able to do that if you're in Shargao where signal is really down? So yeah. it's really wiser to go to the city and you know gather some help, some finan- financial donations. It's wiser that way. Yeah. So you know, I, and then the the plane landed in Manila, and man, I was I was sobbing. I was sobbing. I was crying, and then. My my co-passengers you know, sitting behind me, uh, sitting beside me, are wondering <laughs> who the hell is making that <laughs> sobbing noises. But it was me, like because the moment it uh, la- touched down in Naia, like what was I thinking that moment? Um, like this is it. Like I I exchanged my life, my my city living, my comfortable living in Manila, to choose a very simple rural life in Shargao and I was able to trade it like for good like I'm destined to be here but now I'm back in the city and it felt like that's it like is it over like I I just left the island helpless so it's very I'm very emotional that day so yeah I feel you man I, I resonate so much with what you're yeah. saying it, it brings tears to my eyes when I hear you say it because while I stayed I was dealing with those emotions every single day. I would wake up and think I'm useless here. I can't actually help anyone. I'm, I'm you know, as being an influencer and having an audience, I was like, I would be much better outside of here with internet. But then we'd find an opportunity to cut down a tree or to help somebody. And I'd be like, okay, so today I was useful, but tomorrow what? I'm still eating water. I'm still, you know, I'm still eating water. I'm still drinking water. I'm eating food that somebody else could be, you know, using. And it was an every single day struggle. And I never knew when the right time was to leave. Um, I, I resonate so much with what you're saying about this. It's, 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 uh, and again, I, I say it, I'll say it to everyone. I don't think there's a right or wrong time. It's just you leave when you need to leave, when you feel like you can't help anymore, or you feel like you physically can't be there, or, or if you need to go, it's not, it's not up to the island. It's up to you. It's a personal yeah. decision. Um, and can I just add, yeah, yeah. I think um, giving help doesn't always have to be physical help like we as influencers yeah. our our main um medium is um social media yeah. really so that's that's our way of um spreading like giving help spread information gather help online so if you guys are able to give help like physically like um cutting trees um packing relief goods that's good like I really how I I really applaud you for doing that, but you can't judge other people just because they're not able to give the same help that you did physically, because there are um, different kinds of you know giving help. Yeah, hundred percent. So I'll, I'll recap a little bit what my experience was like um, right after. So you know the the day preceding the typhoon was sort of a recollection date. You're walking around trying to assess the situation. You go to sleep pretty helpless, pretty miserable. Um, the second day we wake up, okay, today's we're springing into action. Uh, for us in Arca, slowly employees that used to work there, you know, started coming back to check in on the place. And we offered them the opportunity to stay there with us to help contribute to fixing up the resort right now, like cleaning it up so it could be a safe place for us to sleep. And in return, me and Philip, our job was we secure water, we secure food, we secure gasoline so we could get the generator running. So all of a sudden, it literally went from Shargao, this island paradise, Sukba Lagoon, Del Carmen, uh, Guyam, Daku, mm-hmm. island tour, party, yeah, drink, yeah. enjoy, surf, to 
Mad Max Fury Road. You're driving down a busted up town with a busted up car, trying to secure gas and begging people to sell you gas, rice, and water. I've never been in a situation mm-hmm. like that before. That's what happened. It twisted in 24 hours from paradise to end of the world to the apocalypse. So our days were fixated. Every single day we would wake up at 5 a.m. and we would try to find rice, water, gas, food for ARCA, for the employees. And it was it was it was traumatizing. It was the worst because you you drive somewhere off of a hope that somebody told you, hey, there's rice in Dapa. Yeah. And you get there and there's no rice in Dapa. Yeah, yeah. And you drive somewhere for signal to try to get signal and you'd get there and there'd be no signal anymore. Um so we we played that game for about five days. And I remember on the on the fifth day, I think the first place to get some sort of cell service back was Lamari. Lamari. Lamari got like an antenna and they were able to connect people to the internet. And it's the first time I was able to really contact the outside world to speak with Sar, the owner of Arca, on the phone. Yeah. And I broke down. I, me and my friend Elka, we just started crying because it was like he was announcing to us and letting us know. You know, days prior to that, mm. every, every time somebody left the island, I was able to send a message with them. Mm. But it was that feeling of we don't know if the world knows about us. Like we don't know yeah, exactly. if, any, if anyone knows how bad the situation was. And uh, I remember... I remember when I also managed to send a message on a satellite phone from a, a doctor named Terrence. He was roaming around the island, a friend of mine, basically letting people use his satellite phone. So I remember messaging my mom on the satellite phone like, hey, we're, I'm okay, I'm safe, but you need to contact the Israeli embassy, the American embassy. They need help here. The situation mm-hmm. is really bad. We're all right. I'll contact you the second I have connection. I remember even there was a news station that parked outside of, um, of uh, Las Palmas at one point called PTV. Like, I think it's a government. Yeah, PTV, government. And I ran up to the microphone. I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm okay. The Israelis here are okay. Most of the foreigners are all right. Uh, but we need help. Please send help. Like, I just grabbed the mic and, like, was like, I need my parents to know I'm okay. And, so the uh, reporter was doing a stand-up and you just barged in the interview? Pretty much. I, I I was calmly in line, but, like, sort of when the next person got off the microphone, I was like, I need to... <laughs> Um, cause I knew, I knew that there was a chance that when they posted that on live TV, that one of my, one of my viewers maybe would recognize me there mm-hmm. and be able to put it and share it. And that would eventually get to my mother. Mm-hmm. And actually lo and behold, I spoke to my mom and that was the first way she found out that I was okay was oh, yeah. through that news report. Cause oh, they yeah. posted it the night after and it actually got to her. Like people knew that I was okay. My viewers knew that. Okay. But, but I remember wondering every day waking up and like wondering like, Do you think people are asking about us? Do you think people know that yeah, we're in this yeah. situation? Do you think people yeah, yeah. know what happened here in Chargao? And exactly. I, I remember driving to Del Carmen, I think on day five to get connection because it was signal there and getting that outpour of support and love and messages on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, everywhere. People were like, Oh my God! And I, I remember we saw articles were written about us in Israel, about the Israelis that stayed about in America, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, on oh, the yeah. news, and it was like, oh my yeah. God! Everyone knows, like everyone, everyone's aware. Like this is amazing. Like the, the support's coming. We're not going to be stranded here. Like we're going to get help, you know. And the days preceding, there were military flights coming into the um, to Sayak. Once they cleared it, there was these big C-130 planes coming with the Philippine Air Force. They were evacuating, you know, 300 uh, tourists a day, a lot of the tourists that were stuck there in the beginning. And uh, I always debated. I was debating every single day, me and my friends in Arca, like, should we go? Should we go? Should we go? Should we get some connection with the outside world? We can raise money. You know, we started shifting focus very quickly from, okay, we can survive. We have this stuff to survive. Now, how do we give back? Like day four, I was already in the north passing out food and goods with um, Carlo from uh, Surfing Carabao mm. in Malinao and Magdalena from the north. You know, we, we were already trying to figure out, but it was so 
messy. It was so unorganized. It was so like, okay, so you're buying rice from Dapa, so that means you're still taking rice from someone else. Yeah. You're just moving it to the north now. Mm. But like that rice is still rice that somebody in Dapa needs yeah, yeah. as well. And somebody in jail needs. And like everything you do, you feel like you're doing the wrong thing. Everything you're doing, you're, you feel like you're doing something not right because you're not the UN. You're not a government agency. Yeah. You're just people trying to help if you can and you still feel like you're doing it wrong. Um, but I made the conscious decision to stay because my friend Sar convinced me. He was like, I'm coming. I'll be back in probably a week. He was trying to get back to the island as fast as possible. And and we really decided that I was going to sit there and try to document as much of the the process of, of us giving back to the island so we could continue raising money. So we managed to raise 500,000 pesos alone on my YouTube channel, which I'm wow. super proud of. But through the Happiness Group and ARCA, we, we, I think we hit around 1.2 or 1.5 million already. Oh, nice. So we've started wow. already bringing in materials from um, Davao now and Butuan and Surigao, and that's getting to the island hopefully this weekend. But what we did in the, in the weeks after, the three weeks after, we started a feeding program. So we would go from barangay to barangay. We would cook meals in the, in the goodies kitchen, and we would provide free meals um, and when we started, we focused on the barangay of Kabituunan, you know, the one right yeah, after yeah. the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we managed to feed, I think, 50 to 60 people. But by the time I left the island, and this is really what drove me to leave the island once I felt comfortable, is we were feeding around like 500 people a day. So after three weeks of being there and physically pouring out yeah. food for people, I was like, man, I, you know, I'm I'm miserable here. My room was damaged from the storm, so I was sleeping in a puddle of water almost every night because it was getting rained on every day. I had... Tons of flies in my room. I was super dirty. You know, like I had cuts. I had busted no my leg. Water. Yeah, there was no clean water. I had never done so much physical labor too. You know, again, I'm a YouTuber. I don't yeah, yeah. I don't cut down trees. I spent I still have you see these blisters marks here? Yeah. This is for me the first five days with a sundang cutting down trees and opening up coconuts for people like people in Arca. Yeah, yeah. And it's again, I, I enjoyed the process. It was a different like change of pace in life, but I'm much more useful. Outside of the island, raising money through Gcash, through PayPal, through this with internet and content creation, then sitting over there cutting down trees, you know, yeah. like it's a cool thing to yeah. be able to say that I was there and try to help. But I again, I struggled with that every single day. Like, am I actually useful here? And my friend Khuri struggled with that. My friend Philip still struggles with that. I'm sure my friend Sar was struggling with that. You, you just bounce through the reins of like. I want to help because I feel like I belong here, but from the same perspective, I don't know. I don't know if I'm really doing much. I don't really know if I'm doing enough. And then yeah. you know, comments started coming in, and people started saying, "Oh, you do this and you do that, and it's not right for you to be raising money." And you're not, and you start. And for me, it just by by the last week, I I was uh, I was injured in my legs. I had stepped on a nail, so I was limping. Yeah, me too. You stepped on a nail, yeah, also, a nail. <laughs> nail brothers. Have you got Have you got your anti tetanus? Yeah, I had a tetanus, uh, and actually, they opened up a hospital, like a field hospital, from the Davao doctors there. I got a full surgery the day that I he like went in. He gave me an anesthesia shot, cut through it, and everything. Very horrible experience. But I was basically my last week in Chargao. Yeah. I was sleeping in a room that was flooded. In the morning, once the water would dry, the flies would come in. So I was surrounded by, I'm not joking, like 500 flies all day. I had busted both of my legs. On the left leg, I had busted my foot from a coconut tree that I hit on a motorcycle the day after the storm. And so I had these cuts that couldn't, that were infected and I couldn't heal. I, on my right leg, was limping because I had stepped on a nail. I, I was on antibiotics, so that was causing mm. stomach problems. I was dirty. I didn't yeah. have clean drinking water frequently. I was 
relying on eating food because of I, I couldn't eat my own food because I didn't have money because there was no ATM. So I was eating food that the employees from Goodies were cooking. God bless them. They were amazing cooks. They cooked mm. a lot of food. But, yeah. you know, that freedom was stripped away from me. It's like, I can't eat what I want. I can't just have breakfast. I'm thinking about sharing food now and we're rationing food between 20 people that are now living with me. Yeah. You, I couldn't drive my tuk-tuk everywhere because it was a lack of gas. Mm. And we had issues and there's no mechanics. I couldn't upload videos all the time. I couldn't upload stories to update people. I couldn't talk to my mom every day. It was like all these things that boiled up that became really hard for me to handle and I decided as like, I, I'm not happy here. And the biggest thing for me was driving around town and see, see, seeing General Luna in its current state. It, it brought me to really, really dark places. Like, especially when I would drive on the bridge going to Santa Fe to see my house that I was building. When I saw, when I saw the view of Santa Fe from the Catagnan Bridge, just seeing that, uh, seeing like sort of the outside area with no leaves. Sorry. <laughs> okay seeing all of the trees without leaves without color like yeah. just dead it killed me every time because that used to be one of my favorite parts of my days like dealing with the with the construction driving around and seeing like the beautiful nature and the yeah. coconut trees and all the green and the nature and whatever and now it's all dead it, it, it affected me so heavily like really to my heart and it made me feel like i i was i was falling into like a deep dark hole of just darkness like a like a really bad place so uh I think it was a week ago now, like a week and a half ago, I uh, started linking up with the Department of Tourism. They were still doing evacuation flights with the C-130s, mm -hmm. and it was free, which I was happy about because I didn't want to have to go through the Butuan, what you did. I really didn't want to do the Hayangabun, and especially since you left the island, the weather increasingly got worse. Okay. The day that I left, it was raining all day. Like, it didn't stop raining the entire day, and the sea was really rough, really scary, so I I didn't want to do the Hayangabun route. I was very scared of doing it, especially with all the stuff that I was carrying. Yeah. So we we linked up with the military. We we waited in the airport eight hours because the flight was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And finally, there's so many people camping out. Uh, no, by the time that I left, it was we we were maybe twenty people who boarded the flight, okay. or thirty people. In the first days, it was three hundred. Thirty people inside the C one thirty. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and they fit all though. of us in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we we hopped on the flight. They took us to Cebu, refueled loaded a, a truck into the plane and then we stood up during takeoff. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> or a, a van, sorry, not a oh, truck. Right. And then we took off in this plane with a van and arrived in Manila. And I remember landing in Manila, like I felt everything that you're talking about. Yeah, you hold on. You, you just stand? You hold you on. Well, you could sit in certain parts, but they wanted us to stand during the takeoff. Most of us were sitting down. Very, very sketchy. Because the way that the plane takes off to from yeah, Sayak Sayak is such a small airport. Yeah, it is. And the <laughs> C-130 is such a big plane. Yeah. They have to... When they take off, they go full throttle 100% the second so it's that they not take gradual. off. Yeah, yeah. You go to the side, yeah, yeah. and the takeoff is really intense. Like, they have to go at a really high angle very quickly. It was one of the scariest flights of my life, I think, just that takeoff. And it was raining very heavily and really windy. How um, about the turbulence? Or? Turbulence was terrible on the first flight. The second flight was super chill from Cebu to Manila. But the first flight, we were all terrified. But it's the same plane. Same plane, okay. yeah. Same plane. But we were so, so scared on the, the first flight. Everything was shaking. You're bouncing around like so many people on the plane. But uh, I remember when we landed in uh, in Manila, I felt everything that you described. I, I immediately tears came down because I was like, yeah. I don't want to be here. I, I I feel just like you. Like I was in Shargao and I wanted to spend the rest of my time in the Philippines, which I didn't have much time left. I'm supposed to leave the country this month. 
really? Yeah. I didn't have much time left. I wanted to spend all of it in Shargao, surfing with good times, good friends, building my house, finishing my house, like starting that new life, leaving the island and getting ready to come back in the future. But like leaving with a really beautiful and like happy ending, you know, after yeah. two years there, I wanted to be like, I'm going to wrap this up with a bow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have an awesome party in my house. I'm going to invite a lot of friends over to see it, you know, eat good food, drink, surf. Am I supposed to be invited? 100%. Of course. <laughs> okay. 100%. And, and, you know, like, it it ended in disaster so opposite of my expectations, which is the part that feels so personal because you set all these expectations out there and then all of a sudden, not only is it ripped away from you, it's like, no, you can't do this anymore. You can't do this. All your friends can't do it. Your entire community and the entire island can't do anything like that moving forward. Like, your life now becomes from me, 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 because it is a very self-centered yeah. life in Shargao. You enjoy for yourself. It's all about yeah. you, your spiritual growth TBH, there. Yeah. It's all about it. But your life all of a sudden goes from me, 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 and my life, my construction, my house, my surfing, to you're now living a life 100% dependent and for other people. I've never experienced anything like that. The shift was really, really difficult. It was very hard for me to intake, to to go from stopping to think about myself 100% to basically thinking about the people of the island and and the people who I'm living with there, which all of a sudden you have to start living with 20 people. And it's an adjustment that I... Felt guilty, quite frankly, for leaving when I landed. I felt guilty. I was like, yeah. I felt like I still didn't do enough. Yeah. I felt like, and then I started realizing it was like, you know, if I spent a month there, if I spent two months, if I spent another year there, would I feel like I did enough? And I started realizing this week in Manila that probably not. And we shouldn't be guilty for the feelings that we left. We should be happy for the time we spent there. And now our duty is for people who love that island so much to pour as much love, support, and attention onto the island for the future. Like, it can't be something that ends in a month. It can't mm. be something that we forget about in two months, even yeah. if we don't end up living there again. The, the island of Shargao needs that support. Yeah, it needs yeah. that love from people like you and I. That's one of the reasons I invited you on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. Besides the fact that I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to have you on this podcast in a better context in Shargao, I wish. Yeah, yeah. Sana ol for the future. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, I, I'm happy that you're here because I know that the people following you are going to be able to spread a light on Shargao. And even if it doesn't mean a physical donation via Gcash or PayPal or whatever... As long as it's on their mind, they bring it up in casual conversation, I'm happy that we're able to get the message out on what happened to our beautiful our beautiful island. Yeah. You know, it's, some of my friends are asking, are seeing from my stories that why are you still posting about Chargao? Like it has been it has been a month, a nearly month. a month. Yeah. And it's been dragging on for so long, but you're still posting about Chargao. And for me, I think that it doesn't have to stop because, you know. No one has the right to say that uh, the kind of help that you would be pouring in for Shargao would stop at a definite uh, time because it continues to, you know, progress. And we won't stop until Shargao has fully recovered. And it will take time. It will take years. It will it's going to be an uphill battle. But but I know that people like you and I are here. Whether, whether we're going to be there physically, I know I probably won't be able to be there physically for a year or two. I don't know. I don't know when I'll be able to come back to the Philippines. But... Um, so are you really, really leaving this month? I'll or? probably be leaving very, very soon, actually. Right. Yeah, yeah, I have to because I have my best friend's wedding is happening uh, very soon. But I know bros, that... Bros first. Yeah. I have, it, anyways, it was my plan to leave. I, I needed to leave by uh, by the end of January anyways. I was planning on finishing the construction of my house and then leaving. Uh, but that's all over now. <laughs> um, but I think that regardless of whether they're physically or if you're bouncing between Manila and Shargao or other places in Shargao, 
I know that on our minds and our soul and our heart, the island is there. It's going to come up regardless in conversation. It's going to be something that we bring up. And that's that's what lets me rest easy, feeling that, not feeling too guilty. Is I know that it might be PTSD. I'm not sure. It might be trauma. But that trauma is going to allow me to continue bringing this place up and continue to share it. Share with people like I experienced the best days of my life on this place, like the most amazing days of my entire life in Chargal. And I want everybody to know how amazing that place is. And I never want that legacy of what the island is to to end. It really feels like you're mourning the death of a friend. Yeah. Like with the Chargal. It feels like Chargal died. Yeah. But luckily for us, it's going to come back. Yeah. It's just going to take time. You know what? It, it's a very humbling experience. Very. Because 2021 was considerably one of my best years. And it's also the the year when I started to, you know, go out of my comfort zone. That's when the year I started to really uh, start a vlog, which I which I have been planning for years. But I was able to have the guts and the, you know, the confidence to do it. So I was on a high, like literally on cloud nine. Like cloud nine is a place in Chargao <laughs> as well, right? Yeah. So I was on cloud nine when I was in Chargao in 2021. And then the year wrapped up with such a... Um, you know, on a somber note, and I left the island on a heavy heart, and it really humbled me because what I realized was, like in life, like you may be having, you may be peaking at your success, but at one point, it has to remind you that you know you have to be humbled and stay grounded. Yep. And it's not because you did something wrong, but because you know you just have to be reminded that. You're not um you're you're not always on top of things or on top of the world. Like at one point you will face rock bottom, and it's a necessary, as uh, part of the cycle of life, and you just have to accept it and you have to move forward because, as cliched as it might seem, but there's nowhere to go but up if you're in the rock bottom, and you would be able to see, things or from a different and clearer perspective, and you'd move on with a renewed mindset. So. I'm not thankful that this happened, but I am I am grateful because it allowed me to see and open up, you know, a new perspective from me that I haven't seen before. So we have um, nothing to do but to move forward and we will all rise like together. Amazing, man. This is beautiful words to end the podcast on, really. The I guess the the best way to summarize it is Laban, right? The Laban Bangon Shargo. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. 100%. That's what we want for Shargao is just to see it rise. John, thank you so much for joining me for this yeah. episode of the podcast. It was an honor to have you on. Thank and you so much. Someone, as someone who is a big fan of your content and oh, happy that we, you know, you. we lived on the I island together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy that we got to share this experience and I'm hoping that we were able to make a difference with this podcast. I want to shout out again, guys, all the places that you can donate. Um, there are so many places to donate right now in Shargao. There's tons of little efforts and big efforts. The ones that I'm highlighting to you right now are tried, tested, and true. There's no dilly-dallying. They are doing actual, really, really good work that I've seen with my own eyes on the ground in Shargao every single day. So the first one is Sea Movement, Sea Shine, Vedia, and Local Lab. All of those will be linked down below in the show notes, in the description, wherever you're watching this show. And obviously, check out my uh, my wonderful guest, John, Juan, and Lonely, down below in the description. Um, he sh- I'm sure he's going to post some content about this as well. So whenever you're listening to this, uh, please, please go check out his different channels, whether it's TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. Um, and we'll see you guys in the next episode of the Shargao Sound. I appreciate you so much for joining. And just as a little update for those of you guys who are curious, 
the show was recorded mostly before the typhoon. I don't know how it's going to be posting the episodes because their their context is going to be off. So yeah. we'll see how I go about posting this show. But my intentions are to make this show um, grow with the island. And as much as it comes back, I want the show to come back as well with the island as it's growing. So we'll see what happens with that. Just keep updated. Follow us on Shargao Sound. And we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye, guys. So, my friends, that's the end of episode two of the Shargao Sound. I hope you guys got some insight on what our trauma-filled experience of uh, surviving through Super Typhoon Odette was like. Again, I couldn't be less happy to give you guys an episode under this context, but I'm hoping when it feels right to resume the show in its normal context. The, the honest truth is that a lot of the businesses and a lot of the business owners who were interviewed in the show before the typhoon, a lot of them have lost their businesses. So I don't really know how to upload those episodes in, in relative terms to what <laughs> happened on the island. I'm going to figure out a way, but my intention is 100% to continue this show into the future. I want the show to grow with Shargao as Shargao grows, and I'll figure out the right ways to do it. But uh, just bear with me, and I appreciate any and all of you guys who tuned into the first episode and sent so much love and support our way, and um, uh, I'm very excited to continue uploading this show. Please do not forget to donate in the links down below. Please, Shargao needs your help. It needs your money. It needs your awareness, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.